Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I really want to take a, a little bit different of a, of a twist and a turn and uh, going to share some stuff personally. Some of it maybe you've heard, uh, some of it I'm going to add to a little bit, but I want to fit it in into what I believe the Lord just kind of even been speaking to me and... Um, I've had a few opportunities here lately that have just been a little out of the norm. Uh, Full time, if you don't know, um, well, I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Michael, Michael Clark. Uh, I know we've got some new guests, a lead pastor here at Emmanuel. And I always forget to introduce myself and my wife when I'm talking to people. I just forget. I'm sorry. I don't don't do it on purpose. But full time, I work with an urban youth ministry. Uh, My parents started it 25 years ago. So we're a nonprofit faith-based organization. Um, I've employed like half the people here at the church there. Uh, I just like one staff. It makes it easy for me. No, that's actually the truth. <clears throat> so it, um, it is actually just a lot of fun to be able to wake up every day and say, God, what, how can we reach more people in our city? How can we reach more young people and support their families? And, and that's what we do. And we look for new ways, new opportunities with the changes that are happening in our culture. And um, there's a lot of things, though, as I look back on my life and even what happened with my parents that affected me, affected the siblings I grew up with. I'm the youngest of four, and it affected us all differently. You know, how, how many of you have seen that? Parents, you've, you've been around long enough. You've seen how the same situation will affect one kid differently than it did the other, right? They just respond to the same circumstances and same situation differently, and we all do that. Um, even this morning, we, we were seeing the same songs, uh, the same Spirit of God was in here, but we all were at different places on how we were responding to it. Some of us were, we walked in, locked in. Some of us, we had to work through some stuff. Some of us were like, I'm still checking things out. Uh, that, is that lady singing with a cough drop in her mouth? I mean, there were just things happening. That's my wife, by the way. Yeah, and I, the screen wasn't working right. Oh my goodness. Anyways, so we had to load like all the songs on the fly for some reason. It, it like removed everything. And it just happens. Bethany, you'd be, you'd be glad you weren't back there. <laughs> so we were like, oh, okay, it was one of those days. But there are so many things that we experience the same situation, but it, it can shape us or mold us or, or allow us to respond differently. And I think about a statement that I heard years ago from a man named E.M. Bounds. Anybody ever heard of E.M. Bounds? Written a lot of works on prayer. Matter of fact, BJ was coming down off the stage. He's like, I think I have that book. I've not read it, but I think I have it. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know how much of this one I've read either, but... But there was a, a, a statement that came from E.M. Bounds. He was a Methodist minister in the 1800s. He served as a chaplain with the Confederate Army during the Civil War. And he's, he's noted as saying this after writing so much on prayer. He says this to young preachers. He says, it takes 20 years to make the sermon because it takes 20 years to make the man or the woman. And I really, at first when I heard that, uh, even as a young person, I was like, ah, I don't really like, I'm not sure I agree with that, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my room and I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to have something to give, you know, in our small group or our Bible study tonight. Or, um, you know, if I remember preaching my first sermon, I was 15. And I was like, there weren't a whole lot of years to, to make a 15-year-old at that point, especially in a walk of faith. And, and I, I look back though now and I'm like, I kind of understand what he's saying now a little bit more than I did then. It takes 20 years to make the sermon because it takes 20 years to make the man. And, and there's a lot of things that make up who we are. And look back at the things, both good and bad, that have made you 
who you are. And today, I want to talk about a few of those. And this is actually our home. Uh, we didn't used to have lakefront property, uh, but as a result of this week, we do now. So we built a dock, and uh, uh, that actually was, that was my neighbor's house back there. Uh, no. But I want to talk about something that I believe the Lord has been speaking to me on for a couple of years, how we go from yes to rest. Put the boat in there intentionally because I want us to be active in this uh, movement towards, towards rest. And that almost seems like a paradox, right? An oxymoron that we would make every effort. I don't even know why the, the author of Hebrews would say make every effort, like work, strive towards entering his rest. And uh, that's because it has to be intentional. It's something we do. And that's something I just want to talk about this morning as we get into this idea and think about the yeses in your life. And so many of them, like I mentioned, have made us who we are. And, and look at this for me uh, in, in James chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. James chapter 1, if you've got a Bible or a phone or a tablet, you can dial it up just looking at verse 2 through 4. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness or perseverance run its course. Let it finish its, its work. Let it have its full effect, it says here. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The seasons of our life make us who we are. That's without a doubt. And I've heard it said, and I've even repeated it. I don't know if Greg, uh, Craig Rochelle was the first one that said it, but listening to his podcast, he says, we are the sum of our relationships and experiences. We are the sum of our relationships and experiences. And I believe this. I believe that you are the, the sum total of the things that you have experienced, both in relationship and just circumstances. That is who you are. That's what has made you who you are, how you've responded to those things because there's a lot of things, how many of you know in our life, that we have no control over? But how we respond to them has a lot to do with where we end up. And so I want to share some of my journey and reassure you that I'm still on it. And that's, that's honestly probably one of the hardest things I face being up here right now and talking about some of these things is because as soon as you start to experience some things that are transformative in your own life and you begin to share it with others, you've kind of finally come to that place to share it with others and you start to see it even help someone else, sometimes that can only almost cut off the process of your transformative process and walking in that same journey. Does that make sense? Like you begin to, wow, man, God's really helped me in finances, and it's been such a, a, a revelation or, or whatever it is, in relationships, and you finally got some stuff worked out with you and your, your spouse, and, and it's just been like such growth inside of you, and you start to talk about it, and then it's almost like it stopped the process. It's almost like you kind of, you got used to where you had gotten to and you just kind of stopped there. You know what I mean? And so as a, as a pastor, as someone up here in the front, that is what I have to guard the most. That what I'm reciting to you, I'm still walking out. That I'm still growing in. That what I'm about to talk to you that maybe happened two, four, 16, 18 years ago, that I'm still allowing the Lord to say, hey, but what are these spots that we were working on? We kind of need to go back to some of those. It wasn't completed. It wasn't finished. And so I think about the first yes in my life as we're looking at from yes to rest. 
And I want you to think about yours. I want you to go back in your mind what it was like when, you, when the Lord first captured your heart. What was, where were you? What was going on? What were the circumstances? Uh, were you in uh, shambles? Was it rock bottom? Were relationships falling apart? Were, uh, was addiction your story? What, what had happened that brought you to that point? Or were things just hunky-dory and someone invited you to church? Whatever it is, I want you to think about when you first came to the Lord, when you first responded, yes. And I remember where I was at, but I have to go back even a little bit further because I think about the yeses for my life and what God has done in my heart. And I know it even started before me. I think back to even the yeses and some of the no's that came in generations before me. And I think about a man named Dr. Millette. And maybe you've heard me share it before, but he was my mom's biology teacher in Nashville, at just a little community college. She'd already been kicked out of David Lipscomb and she was searching for truth in her own way. And they were like, you need to maybe reevaluate your educational pursuits somewhere else. And so here she was at trying to just kind of get through the core classes and she was going to biology class and I wasn't even in the picture. Only my two older siblings were alive at the time. And the relationship between her and my dad was breaking apart. It was getting pretty serious to where they weren't sure if they were even going to stay together. And I'm able to share this because redemption's on the other side of the story. And she walked into class and Dr. Millette, a charismatic Catholic African man, African-American young man, said to her what he said almost every class. God loves you and has a plan for your life. God loves you and has a plan for your life. But this day, it hit home and she broke down at the door. And through her tears, he began to pray with her and had the opportunity to lead her, my mom, to the Lord. Having grown up in Church of Christ all her life, having heard all the Bible stories, having you know, seen it, done it, been there, something had met her in that moment that revolutionized her world, and her heart was now his. She said yes. And Dr. Millette got my mom her first Bible at Kmart. I mean, you know, that was a good Bible, right? If you got it at Kmart, it was an awesome one. I'm sorry if you got your Bible at Kmart. That wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Did anybody get their Bible at Kmart just to make sure? Okay. But Dr. Millette got her plugged into church. Donaldson Chapel, right there in our neighborhood where we lived. Brother Moore began to disciple my parents and my dad began to respond to the process that was happening in my mom's life and it saved their marriage. But there were seeds that were deposited and I look back to Dr. Millette who probably risked his career, especially if it was in 2020, right? We know that to be able to say, God loves you and you're more important than my job. Your soul is more valuable than maybe what I have on, on the line to lose. But it started something that I see the, tr the trickle and, and the ripples of, of that yes in her. And she, my mom began to read books and uh, she was a savage with just reading commentaries and, and things that, were, that would develop and grow her. And, and I think about how all that in that moment began to create the seeds that would be in my life why she was careful to keep us in certain type of spiritual environments, why she just wouldn't let us just go to any church. She wanted to make sure that, man, is it sound? Is it, are the environments you're going to be in, is it going to help you grow? Is it, is it going to be spirit-led? You know, all those things that the Lord had done in her life, she wanted for us. And I fast forward, we're here in Knoxville, and I think about the things that they put me in private school, and I grew up in Christian school, and I, I knew the things that the Lord wanted to do in my life, but I hadn't had my own encounter with him the way that he wanted me to. It hadn't been a yes in my heart. I hadn't been to that point yet. 
And I think about Paul as we've looked at him before. And I think about Paul in Acts 26, how we see from this story, here he was carrying out orders to continue to persecute the church, to persecute Christians. He's carrying out these orders. He thinks he's saying yes to following God's plan for his life, doesn't he? But on his way, boom, Jesus encounters him in such a powerful way, knocks him off his donkey and blinds him for three days. And while Paul is lying there on that pathway to Damascus, he cries out, Lord, Lord, who are you whom you say I am persecuting? It is I, it is Jesus. He had an encounter with the one whom he thought he was doing God's will to come against. And I think that the Lord will appear to us. And out of that, we see that Paul out of that gets from his encounter with God has a call. I have called you to the Gentiles and I have put this in place so that you will carry out my purposes in taking the gospel to those who are far from me. And that was, that was the beginning of something that has grafted us all in, that has brought a yes for many of us that wasn't even in the cards for us initially. We didn't see that. The, the Jews didn't see how the nations were a part of God's greater plan, the way that Jesus had intended it. And Paul becomes such a beachhead for that. It's where you and I can be the result of that call and that purpose, even in Paul's life. And for you, think about it. What was it like when the Lord revealed himself to you? What was the call that he put there? For what purpose did he meet you where you were at? To be a son and a daughter? To see freedom come into your life where maybe they had, there had been chains and bondages and depression? To restore you? To bring healing? And to also see how that would trickle into other people's lives and revolutionize someone else's world as well. And I remember as that 14 and 15 year old, how it happened for me, how the Lord began to, after he encountered me, began to call me and to put the nations of the world in my heart. Can you remember what some of those first steps were for you? I want you to think with, with me of, uh, of the man in Genesis chapter 12, we call him Abram. And the Lord would reveal himself to him. He would encounter him and he would give him a call. He would say, pack up your bags and your family and go to a place that you've never been to. I would consider him one of the first missionaries to go to a land that you know not of. Right there in Genesis 12, we see this so that you could be a blessing to others. And we learn that when God appeared to, you can put that up, that when God appeared to Abraham, promises were made, Covenants were cut and a response of faith was rewarded. And I'm not even sure that Abram knew who he was meeting with. I'm not sure that he even knew who he was encountering. The scripture doesn't really expound on that. But he responded to the faith with which Abraham said, yes, I will go. Yes, there's a yes in my heart, Lord. I believe you're the one. I will respond with a yes. And, and the Lord said, I will do something great with you. I have a call, I have a purpose. And I think of Joseph, and I'm talking about from yes, because we have an accumulation of yeses. And, and we see even in Abraham's life, how there were some yeses that he tried to even fabricate. There were some things that he took into his own hands, right? He said, yes, God, I believe that you've made these promises. I believe this is your covenant. So let me help you out a little bit. Let me help you fulfill the plans you have for my life. Let me help you, because I'm not sure it's happening the right way. What about maybe you know, my servant girl here, maybe she's the, the way that you're going to answer these promises. 
And we see how sometimes in our own selves that we can kind of begin to fabricate God's plans for our life. And it was never the way that he intended. And we end up in a place that God never designed us to be because we didn't wait and watch him fulfill it. We tried to fulfill it on his behalf. And then I think of Joseph, another man who had a dream. And he shared his dream with those that were closest to him. And I don't know if it was the wrong group of people or maybe the wrong time, but we see what happened as they begin to resent the call and the purpose and the plans that they had on Joseph. As Joseph was saying, yeah, this sounds awesome, right? Who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to see your name exalted and others come to you? And, and Joseph just tried to understand what was happening in his life as a teenage boy, but his brothers didn't want to hear it. What Joseph didn't understand, I think, is that there was a process for Joseph to go to, go through before he could ever be elevated to the place of fulfilling what God had, him, had called him for. I think Joseph didn't understand that there was a pit that was going to lead to that palace. And I think of others. I think of David. How David, I think, said yes in his heart as a young man on, on the hillside watching over his dad's sheep. And as he walked, watched over these flocks, he was sent to take lunch to his brothers as they were in battle. And, and he still had this, this heart of worship, always responding with a yes to the Lord. I believe that. But at this moment, he said, how could we let someone stand up and ridicule our God? And he said, yes, I will do something. I will stand up for, for what I believe. And yet we see so many of the yeses in David's life where the Lord would say, because of your yes, I'm going to publicly say yes of you. I will send Samuel and he will anoint you. Because man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. I'm talking about the yeses throughout Scripture. And, and there were so many things that David still, I don't know how the Scripture could say that he was a man after God's own heart. Sometimes I really wrestle with that because of some of the things that I see that he struggled with, with adultery and even murder. And, but he was quick to repent. He was quick to come back and say, God, yes, I am that man. I am the one that the prophet is saying that was you. And I am willing to come back. Oh, what? And then we read Psalm 51 as the fallout. Lord, have mercy on me. Cleanse me. Renew a right spirit within me. And I think about all these yeses, some of them really extravagant and, and amazing and others really ugly as they try to fabricate and, and take things into their own hands of the yeses in their life to the Lord. And I think of Peter. He said yes to following Jesus. And a few years into it, Jesus asked him, he's like, Hey, there's so many people that are saying I'm this and I'm that. Who do you say I am? And, G and Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. So where else could we go? Who else would we be following? Peter had said yes so resoundingly, but yet we see that same Peter. And maybe you see it in yourself, like sometimes I do in me, where I want to help Jesus out a little bit. And I want to grab that sword when someone's bucking up against Jesus. And I'm so quick to say, yes, I will defend you when God doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to take up things literally into our own hands and to stand up for him. And, and maybe you do this on Facebook and maybe you do this at work and maybe you do this in so many other areas of your life where the call to follow Jesus, it wasn't about him, it was about you. Jesus didn't need you, you needed him. The yes wasn't for him, it was for you. And so we lay down our sword and we say, okay, I'm in this process of saying yes to you. And there's so many things that accumulate day after day, month after month, year after year, as we say yes to the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Because you didn't wake up saying yes to Jesus 
there was a process that led you up to that. And you didn't wake up being married to the person maybe you're sitting next to or, or dating or in this family or coming to this church or being a part of some of the, the ministries and the organizations you support. You didn't just wake up and that was in your life. You didn't wake up and there were three kids running around your house or maybe you did, I don't know. Maybe you foster like we do and that could be the case. I don't know. But you woke up and there was an accumulation of yeses that you look back at and you saw where a few years of this, yes, led to this. And the Lord put something in your heart and you began to walk into it. And there was a transition season. And and I see that in my own life. But I want to warn us as followers of Christ that there can come a place and come a time where our yeses begin to become fatigue. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in a place where we don't have much more to offer even in our yeses and in the areas where the Lord's led us because we're so empty and we're so worn out and even broken. And that's what I want to challenge us today on is that we not find ourselves in a place where our yes has negated some of the rest that the Lord wants us to also enter into. Because I look back and I'm like, wow, man. Yes, Lord, I said I would follow you. Yes, I knew there was a call, but boy, I sure did go through a burnout experience and you helped me navigate through that as as a young person. And then I regrouped and and recalibrated and and I began to say small yeses to different areas and it's led me to where I'm at right now. But there is also this temptation that we can continue to think that we have to shore things up, that we have to answer the promises that God has put in our life, that we have to be the ones to carry this weight, to carry this burden. That's why I think that last song, it it was so pivotal. I didn't tell her to sing it. I didn't ask the worship team to put it in there, but it really fits what we're talking about today. Lord, you're taking my load. You're carrying what I have picked up through life. And you know, there was, there's a book that I, I look at oftentimes that I had a board member really challenge me on that Andy Stanley wrote. It's, it was called, Who Are You Cheating, right? And, and I look at this book sometimes, especially when I think about the accumulation of yeses in my life. Because I can't be the best pastor and the best husband in the best dad, in the best uh, leader in this realm, or the best this, or the best that, there's going to be some areas that I have to cheat. But there's a few roles that I can't be replaced in. I can be replaced as a pastor. I absolutely can. And I hope that, that we're not built on me or whoever's up here, but we're built on the community we have in Christ and the fellowship we have with him and we have with one another. I can't be replaced, though, as as a husband. No one should step in in that role and fulfill the duties that God has given me and and the joys that I get to experience. And, And no one can replace me as father. That's a title I hold that no one else can have. So if I choose to cheat, let it not be in those two areas. If I choose to say, hey, this is how many hours I have and this is what I can give and this is what I can do, then let it be somewhere else. Because those are the areas that for eternity will be the ones that I can't be replaced in. Every, every other area, I'm disposable. I'm disposable at Kiko. I'm disposable here at the church. They can find more chaplains. They can recruit more foster parents. But if things fall apart at home, there's some things that can't be replaced and repaired there that I was designed to be and to carry. So think about the areas where God has you where no one else can replace you as husband, as wife, as son, as daughter, as father, as mother. Those are the areas that we don't want to cheat. 
Those are the ones that I think about what Matthew says in 1626. It's eventually going to come up here. There it is. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You heard that before? If you've ever found yourself in a similar spot, you're not alone. But let's reevaluate. Let's allow the yeses that have accumulated in our life. Maybe there's some, some things that the Lord's wanting to weed out. Maybe there's even some areas he's wanting to simplify right now. Maybe the season that you thought was leading to this so quickly, maybe it's taken a little bit longer because he just wants you to enjoy his presence and rest and get connected to those around you. Maybe he's not wanting you to run to the next thing. Maybe he's not wanting you to fill your life with so much activity that you're so distracted that you can't even be filled up so that you could pour out. Boy, isn't that what the enemy uses right now more than anything? It's just busyness, distraction. That just feeds worry, feeds fear, feeds control. So many of the things that the Lord is asking us to lay at his feet. So many of the things that we're trying to carry and burdens that he never designed us to carry. And I want to read this quote to you. I've been reading a book that Christian recommended to me. Um, <clears throat> believe it or not, every now and then I do read a book that you recommend to me. And so Don Miller, he says this in Scary Close. Anybody ever read Scary Close? It's a good one. I really recommend it if you're looking into relationships and health. And he says this, he says, the problem is this, those of us who are never satisfied with our accomplishments secretly believe that nobody will love us unless we're perfect. And he builds onto it. In the next pages, he says, it's all connected with the belief that human love is conditional, but human love isn't conditional. I was like, what? No love is conditional because if love is conditional, it's just some sort of manipulation masquerading as love. Think about that for a moment. So much of sometimes the, the frenzy and the activity and the things that we are, are continuing to prop up and to do is trying to accept someone else's acceptance. We're trying to earn something that we were never designed and created to try to earn and if we do that in our relationship with God and we do that in our relationship with others, all of a sudden we're in this type of a relationship that isn't based on unconditional love. Instead, it is manipulation that we feel like we've got to earn or to dance and to do this. And it's this weird partnership that God never created us to be in, not with him or anyone else. And it inhibits us from being able to receive grace. And I love what he continues to say. He says, grace only sticks to our imperfections. Those who can't accept their imperfections can't accept grace either. Have you learned that lesson before? Have you been around that mountain a couple of times? That's a hard one for me to learn, but it's been probably one of the most fruitful. Is that when even in my imperfections and in my inability to muster up the fruit of the Spirit and to squeeze out what God wants in my life, I find that in the rhythms of his grace, if I will just rest in him and let him do the work that he wants to do in me, he'll begin to do the work that he wants to do through me. But I have to be able to accept it with no strings attached. God, here I am. I don't feel very worthy. I, I can't tell you how many weeks, and maybe this is you too. I'm like, man, I just, just one more day. I just want to get through one more day. If we can just get through two, just the next day, just one more day, right? I just want to surely, surely the kids will sleep better tonight. Maybe, maybe no one will get sick. Ah, oh, somebody's sick. Okay. All right. Well, well, one more day. Let's just get through one more day. 
and in your relationships and in, and in praying for family and in things that haven't been answered. You just, one more day, just one more day because in our imperfections, we feel so out of control. We feel so frail. We feel so unable to do anything about it. But that's when God can step in and do something powerful because it is in our weakness that we can see his strength. It isn't when we've got it all figured out that we begin to see God's miracles. It's when we need him desperately and we have nowhere else to turn. And if we live from that standpoint of saying, God, you've got to come through in every area of my life. And I'm going to walk as someone who is seated in heavenly places, claiming my rights as a son and a daughter, but I can't do it. I can't muster up your purposes in my life. I can't see this relationship restored. I can't see this person healed. I can't understand the heartache that I'm going through. Without you, God, I need you to walk through this valley with me. And we struggle to accept God's grace because at times we think we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And that isn't the way anything is received from God. As we're reminded from Paul in Ephesians 2, he says this. He says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. In this, not of your own, because it's a gift of God. Verse 9 not a result of works so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. A couple of years ago, I was, I don't think I was working with the youth any longer here. And Candy and I, we had started, started fostering in 2016, right? And by six months into that, I had just gone through some crazy transitions with my family it was just really heavy with my mom and dad and working with them. And, and I've shared a little bit of this, but as we got out of that season, out of that year, things were getting better, but it had just accumulated stress-wise. You know what I mean? You're like, it's, it's kind of it, the, the fallout and what the actual situation's not as difficult or as hard, but mentally and emotionally and physically, you're still feeling it. Like you're still, and that's kind of where I found myself at the beginning of that next year at 2017. And I remember I remember a specific day, and I've shared a little bit of it. Um, it was a Friday, January 19th, and I just remember thinking, I've hit my ceiling. I don't even know what to do. Some of the things I was struggling with were just handling stress. And I finally, I, I called a few places. Uh, I think I was associate pastor here. Can you believe that, right? Associate pastors need help too. And I called a couple of therapists, Christian counselors, and here was my honest response. I'm going to be as transparent as possible. I asked them how much it was to come, you know, and, and see somebody. And they told me, and I was like, boy, that's a lot. I think I can figure this out on my own. <laughs> Anybody else been there? <laughs> Maybe it was just me. I was like, man, that's really good. Uh, I got better things to do with my money than give it to a guy who wants to listen to me talk. But I needed to go. But it was a couple more months and I knew I still needed to go see someone. Because who does a pastor go to? And who does an executive director of a nonprofit talk to who's got so much on the line if they find out that he's struggling? Well, how can I trust what, what he's doing with his organization? Or maybe he's really, maybe his integrity is even in the, in the mix or what else is gonna fall out? Or who do, who do you go to as a leader? And I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that who do we go to if people find out that we're struggling? Who, who will we really be vulnerable to? And I'm so privileged to be able to share this with other leaders because I think so often, especially as Christians, we, it's okay for us to go to the doctor when we get sick or we can't figure out how to get better on our own and we've tried it a few weeks. It's okay, 
but mentally and emotionally, we've not made it as acceptable to go and get counseling and see a therapist. We've not said that that's as okay as going to a doctor, and that needs to change. Because we need to be able to get the help that we need when we need it. And so the last month, I've been able to talk to young leaders who were coming up in, uh, in a residency program here in Knoxville. And I got to speak to uh, a Presbyterian church staff, Cedar Springs, about this very topic. And this week, I'll be at North Star talking to their church staff about this very thing. About when we've had an accumulation of so many yeses. And we've said yes to working in this you know, minute or whatever your scenario is. For me, it was a ministry with my parents and it was you know, having my own kids and entering into working with the mess of DCS. And, and it was just too much. I, didn't, I couldn't process or handle it on my own. And I was making some really bad choices in handling my stress. Is that okay for you to hear that today? You okay with that? And I had to reach out and get some help. Even after two months of saying I can do it on my own, I knew I couldn't. You know, here I was with my booth set up at a church for a missions conference. And they said, hey, we really value your wellness and your well-being. We have paid for your first visit to go while you're here. And most of these people were from overseas and a few local partners. There's like 30, 36 booths set up, different missionaries from around the world. And as they're saying this, I'm like, man, these are for those people that are, you know, over there in like China and in Thailand and working in the... And then they said, hey, this is for everyone. This is for those, even our local partners. We want you to go and see someone if you need to. And I was like, oh, man, they're talking to me. That's for me. And so it's really embarrassing when you have to go tell your church partner there, hey, how do I follow up on this? I think I'm supposed to. And so that started it. And I had to put some skin in the game. And I had to begin to make myself vulnerable to saying I need help. And I had to fork out some money saying I, it's worth it. It's my mental and emotional well-being is worth it. And, and I went a, a few times and didn't hear anything I'd never heard before. But it sure did help. It sure did help to just know someone was listening and able to support and help me process and give me some good resources that I could begin reading. It took me like a, a year to read the first resource he gave me just because I was so slow going. I think I just wasn't emotionally ready to process it. You ever been there? And I don't want us to be able to not reach out when we feel our ship sinking. When we see the accumulation of the things in our life, and maybe some of them haven't been yeses that led us to where we're at. Maybe some of them have been some really messed up no's from other people that have just left us emotionally scarred and trembling. But still, it is okay to recognize where you're at. Who was it? G.I. Joe, one of the greatest psychologists said, knowing is half the battle, right? Awareness is curative. And, and recognizing what is going on in here is the first step to saying, God, I don't want to begin to bolster up and muster up what you have called me to do. I want to enter that rest. And it's okay to admit that we need each other. Matter of fact, that's where you're gonna find my strength is when you can finally say, I need your grace. And in your imperfections, you're going to see me come through in ways that you never would have imagined. And that's what the Lord will do. I can testify to that. That you'll see strength come into areas that you thought were going to be feeble, feeble the rest of your life. That you thought you're going to continually struggle with. That this is just the way it's going to be. But that's not God's answer. And that's not God's plan. And that's not his promises for you. But you don't have to do it in your own strength and on your own. And as you begin to recognize that's where you're at, 
We begin to communicate with people that are safe. Let me underline that word that are safe, that it's okay to say, God, I need help and I don't know what to do and I need to turn to someone and, and, I, and I appreciate my wife so much. And, and there was things I just uh, told her the other day. I was like, hey, I, I think I'm gonna go back and see Richard. You know, that's my therapist. I was like, I think I just wanna, you know, work through some stuff, make sure I'm not messing up my kids and make sure I'm not messing up the church and make sure I'm not messing up other people and myself. And, and she's like, is everything okay? And I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have told her. She's like worried that I'm back where I was, you know? And it's okay. It's okay to to risk that vulnerability. How many of you know transparency and relationships are risky and messy, but that's where we're gonna find the strength in our community and through our God. He's gonna use people around us. He's gonna allow us to accept his grace and that's where we're gonna find our strength, not in our pride and that we can do it and that we don't have to share it with anyone because we'll get picked off in isolation and we know that. But I wanna share my story to encourage you to actually do it. Not just what we know, but to translate it into your life. Because the yeses we've seen from, from Abraham all the way to Peter and everyone in between, they had these moments that I wondered, wow, what if they had recognized, had some self-awareness and just seen where they were at mentally and emotionally? What if David had realized that he was out of place and before he even told his men to go over to Bathsheba's house, what if he had had some people that he talked to, that he had an accountability group with every week that we're calling them out weeks before that spring day of war. What if he had put things in place and he had folks that he could lean on and talk to and he was communicating about his emotional and mental health because it affects our spiritual longevity. It affects what God has called us to and is not creating things to answer his plans or to cover our tracks. And Bruce, would you come up here just for a moment? I know this has been heavy but I believe the Lord sometimes just needs us to walk through some stuff in the valley to remind us, hey, the Lord is with us. And so are your neighbors. And so is the body of Christ. And it's okay to recognize where you're at and to say it's not over. It's not, it's not finished here. God is still walking with me through this that he will make us oaks of righteousness. It is by streams of water that he would plant us. And those aren't high places, those are low valleys that we begin to see that he will water us. And he'll use those places that sometimes seem a little dry and barren in moments, but collect and feed us at others. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the trees in the forest, they already know how to communicate with each other. Through their root systems, they begin to talk to each other and say, hey, I'm suffering, I need help. And they begin to transmit nutrients, which is just bizarre to me. But if God's created the trees of the earth like that, then why aren't we willing to say, hey, it's okay, I need help. Because one, one is suffering, we all suffer. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. I want us to walk from our yes to rest, to saying, Lord, fill me up or I have nothing to give out. Without your grace, what am I but for you? And the journey's not over. We keep putting one foot in front of the other. We recognize where we're at and we say, God, I need you and I need others. 
Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know who this was for this morning, but I believe it was very specific. Someone's just walking through a deep time in their own life. It's, it seemed pretty dark. It seemed pretty bleak. And they're not really sure how to even get to the light, how to get out of what they're walking through with no one else looking around. You're the one that this was for. Would you mind just slipping up your hand so I can be praying for you? Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. 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 And I believe in this so much that if you need to talk to someone outside of this building, I'll help you get there. Don't let finances be what keep you back. Don't let shame or the isolation of guilt or whatever the enemy's throwing at your mind right now, we're gonna help you see wholeness in the victory that God has designed you for. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna lift you up. But we're gonna see this thing through, the, to, the, through to the end where God has started something We want to see it completed because that's what Jesus does. We're not going to let the enemy cut this short. Your process of wholeness and redemption. If you feel comfortable coming and seeing me, great. I will help you. If you don't, you tell the place of your choice where you would like to be able to get get help and see Christian counseling. Tell them to call me. Give them my cell phone number. Keep it anonymous. I don't care. You're that important. You are valued. And what you are walking through isn't the definition of who God has created you to be. Lord, right now, I just pray over your people in this place. I pray over those that have just struggled with their own uh, feeling of self-worth and value. And, And this morning, Lord, you're declaring we are sons and we are daughters and we are loved and you have ravished yourself over us that you would dance and sing over us, God, the scripture would say. And Lord, sometimes it's so hard to, to see the sun behind the clouds of what's going on in our life. But Lord, this, this morning, I'm gonna ask that spiritually you would remove some clouds, that you would allow your light to shine through, that you would begin to pierce into the deep, dark places that people have struggled for years. We're gonna begin to see those, those places overcome, that the shame that they've, they've carried, that the weight of what they've been walking through, they no longer have to carry that. Jesus, we thank you that you not just care for us. This isn't a cliche, but God, you carry our burdens. You walk away with these things that we have walked with. And Lord, we thank you for healing in this place that only your spirit can do. We thank you for using your people. But we know, God, our trust is in you. It's not in chariots. But Lord, we thank you for the tools. We thank you for the things that you've equipped people in. And this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would bathe them in your love. I pray that you would surround your people today in your presence, that there would be peace where there has been turmoil internally. God, that you would speak, be still. And they would find the rest of heaven in their soul and in their mind. To the lies of the enemy, we pierce those to the wall and we say truth prevails. God, I thank you that you're going to fill with your thoughts, your dreams, your perceptions this morning. 
in people's thoughts and emotions, Lord, that is what is going to triumph. We're going to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We're going to be aggressive against the ways of the enemy, and we're going to see your name exalted in our heart and mind and soul. In Jesus' name, I thank you for this, Lord. Amen and amen. Guys, I appreciate you allowing me just to share from my heart this morning. It's not our traditional one, but in all seriousness, if this is something that you're walking through and you're like, I wasn't going to raise my hand, heck no, come and talk to me. I want to see us journey this together and find wholeness and health in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.